You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Hoffman of Christ Lutheran Church in Coos Bay, Oregon. This is the day the Lord has made. Amen. The sermon for this sixth Sunday after Trinity is according to St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. I'm about to ruin your day. Fair warning. Because. From multiple people, I have heard this whenever I talk to them about something they're involved in, but they don't wish that I had said anything. They go, oh, come on, Pastor. It's not like I murdered somebody. And they give me that weird look. And you're giving me that weird look now. Because you're all going, well, it's true. Not like I killed somebody. Because that is really the only commandment that people seem to care about. And then Jesus goes and ruins it for everybody. And I'll show you how. I just work for him, but I'm happy to ruin this for you. Today, we get this lesson on the fifth commandment. What is the fifth commandment? So proud. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and protect him in every physical need. Looking for my confirmation, kids. You see, people will say, well, I have not attacked anyone with a gun or a knife, therefore I'm not really guilty of murder. And then Luther, completely relying on what Jesus says, writes this in the fifth commandment. Saying, well, yeah, they're still alive, but you murdered them, dude. In the fifth commandment, God forbids us to harm our neighbor or offend our neighbor, i.e. do or say anything which destroys, shortens, or embitters their life because of your words, your actions. Not only does he forbid us, he also commands you to help your neighbor and protect him in all danger and need from the womb to the grave. We care for our neighbor. Luther says this in the fifth commandment in the large catechism, which we're going to be starting next week. So you're right on time to be there every Sunday at... Good. In the fifth commandment, first he says, do no harm to anyone, not with your hand or with your action. What's more, in the second place, he not only violates the commandment who does evil, but he who can do good for others with the ready ability to protect 
defend and save them from any damage and bodily injury that could happen but does not. Because if you let someone go naked, being able to cover their nakedness, you cause them to die of cold. If you see someone suffer from hunger and do not provide them with food, you let them starve. Similarly, if you see someone sentenced to death or other equally extreme situation and do not save them while knowing the ways and the means to do it, you killed them. Luther continues, No wonder God calls all those murderers who do not advise or assist in the calamities and dangers of body and life overall. So now I'll ask you whenever I say, well, it's not like I I murdered anyone. I'm going to go, you sure about that? Because I have a list. You see, we can harm our neighbor with the very things God used to create the universe. With our words. That is why the Lord says in our text, whoever shall insult his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. But whoever shall say, Raka, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Because remember, when you insult your neighbor, you're insulting somebody who is made in the image of God. A serious insult The word for fool, raka, used to denote a good-for-nothing, hopeless, helpless, stupid, and morally despicable. An expression of contempt for the heart and character of a person. It's not just calling them a dumb, dumb head. You are violating everything that they are and everything that God's creation stands for. This means Words matter. Words have meaning. People matter. God's creation have meaning. This expression of utter contempt for a neighbor standing in the eyes of God is a blasphemy and an offense equal to that of murder, which is a damnable sin. In 1 John 3.15, Revelation 21.8, anger that is not controlled quickly becomes hatred combined with contempt and freely enjoys mocking. 1 Peter 3.9 And yet there's still more. Because not only in actions, lack of actions, and words, can we be guilty of murder, even in our thoughts, words, and deeds. The Lord says, you have heard that it was said by the ancients, do not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. Yet I tell you that anyone who is angry for no reason with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. Simply put, why? Well, because your words and deeds come directly from what your heart is desiring. And God knows what your hearts desire. We are not innocent in the eyes of God because we refrain from violence for fear of consequences in the present. For example, people go to jail 
That's why we tend to not hit people with shovels who really, really need it. Because the authorities will become involved. It is not out of your righteous love for this person who, although is really ticking you off, is a, is a gift from God, believe it or not, is made in the image of God. You're thinking, shovel plus head equals problem solved. So, we're going, well, we don't want to involve the authorities and I don't want to be on the next episode of Cops, so I'm not going to do this. Luther says in the large catechism, murder being prohibited, also prohibitive is any motive from which it might spring. Because there are men who, though they do not kill, curse, however, and their desires will send a pestilence upon those and cause them to run away from God who want them to just fade away rather than be loved by God. And really, which is our hearts are bitter with others is what brings this about. He's not talking about cussing here. He's talking about wishing bad things on people. I hear it all the time whenever some criminal on TV goes to jail. Well, gee, I hope that in prison somebody with a sharpened spoon stabs him. Why? Because that happens. They hope for this evil upon them rather than, I hope this person who is guilty of everything he's been accused of, that he's guilty and possibly more, who is righteously found guilty and placed into prison. How many of us say, Lord, I hope that this person repents of their sin? at least let them spend the rest of their days, though they be in earthly prison, give them the hope of eternal life, freed from the prison of hell. But that's not how our murderous, lustful hearts think, is it? The principle applies to all of the commandments, by the way. Therefore, the Lord says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what do we do? There's no difference in nature, believe it or not, between us and the scribes, between the Pharisees, the most self-righteous people that Jesus is arguing with throughout the Gospels. And yet he's going, unless you surpass that... <laughs> Let's make no mistake, the Pharisees didn't like Jesus because he kept preaching the gospel to them. And they're like, well, what about this? Yeah, well, your righteousness doesn't come from me. So I, I, I don't recognize it. So what do we do? We do not have the capacity for this perfect righteousness. This is the point of the Lord's talk about the wrath. And the other commandments. No one can keep the law of God perfectly by their own strength and reason. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, the natural man cannot fulfill the law in any way. And even Christians can fulfill it only imperfectly. Why would I say that? 
Because we at least hear it. We learn the Ten Commandments. We know what they are. We know there's not the one commandment you shall not murder, and it's not like you did that. It's all ten of them. Beginning with, you shall have no other gods. That thing that you love more than worshiping God. That thing you love more than this love of God that, that uh, emboldens you to love your neighbor, to be that voice of the gospel in the wilderness called Coos Bay and North Bend in this ministry. Whatever you love more than doing that, we found your God. We've isolated it, thank goodness. So what do we do? What do we do? We are guilty not only of our actual sins, that is our own desires, the things we want to do, thoughts and evil deeds, but we also, just to add insult to injury, inherited it from Adam and Eve through their fall in the garden. Because the day you eat of it, you shall surely... Thank you. There's like a strong section right there. Anyway. You shall surely die, which is anybody here raise their hand if they go. Sounds like a good thing. Obviously not. So we see that this sin and death of Adam follows us and it follows us. Always on our heels going, you're not good enough. Here I come. Eventually you're mine. Eventually, you're mine. But we have been left spiritually dead. We've been left enemies of God. And that's what that death is on our heels crying out. Don't forget, you'll be mine. You are enemies of God. But there is perfect righteousness not found in you but found in Christ. This is why He came to fulfill the law. His righteousness and sacrifice of His body and blood covered your sins, and you can stand before God clothed in His righteousness, not only on the last day, but every day as you stand and sit here, fellowship hall, work, Grocery store, wherever you are, that righteousness is imparted to you. So not only on the last day, but starting now, you can live free from sin as God's children. I should say, free from the bondage to sin. Because guess what? I haven't started kidding myself today. I don't believe, well, now nobody's going to sin anymore. Boy, got that covered. But you're going to say that when the devil says, didn't you do that? And you're going, yeah. Well, shouldn't you just always wallow in that? And you're going, no. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross and rose again for me. I have been received into his book of life by the sacrament of holy baptism, which... St. Paul covers amazingly in our epistle lesson, and we'll get to it. And I have eaten and drank the true body and blood of Jesus Christ, given and shed for the 
Forgiveness of sins. Boom. Obviously we sin. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't be so actively creating the church to pronounce forgiveness, actively giving us the sacraments which bring forgiveness. But there is this perfect righteousness of Christ. And as St. Paul says in our epistle, therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into his death. So as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been dead, if we have died in a death like his, we shall also be in a resurrection like his. Knowing this, that our old Adam was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, so we should not be slaves to sin. Welcome to the description of baptism. Not just some ceremony in which a popcorn bowl is magically transformed into some ceremony, but where the water and Word of God permeate you, wash you, redeem you, write your name in the book of life, have hope for you, sacraments. Good stuff as my pastor would say. And by taking our sins upon himself and paying full price for them by his suffering and death, Christ has set you free, not only from this guilt and punishment, but also the power of sin. Now you're not just going, well, because the cops will show up. It's because it's good to do. It's good, meat, right, salutary. All those words that we don't really use very much anymore. Knowing that our old Adam was crucified with him, that by taking our sins, paying the full price, we are freed from the power of death and its authority and sovereignty over us until the end. Literally, being a Christian doesn't mean you're now chained to this life of now being perfect. But being made righteous by the, by the works and deeds of Jesus Christ means you are free to love people without looking over your shoulder but looking to them and saying, yes, made in the image of God. Yes! Christ left the weakness and humiliation of his body and the sin that he bore in his body in the grave. He was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father for the manifestation of his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, and entered into the new life, and this life of Christ is the new life of the Christian, the life after baptism, literally. In baptism, the clock goes, day one. (laughs) Welcome to the first day of the rest of your life. Welcome to the first day of your name being written in the book of life. Welcome to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the vocation of Christian. It's pretty sweet, actually. 
And this life of Christ is the new life of the Christian. It is a new life. And it is this new life that we are to walk in to show that in every act of our daily lives, it's not just saying, well, it's not like I murdered somebody. The salvation of which we partake in baptism is your hope and your cause for this new life. To rely on your own righteousness, that's slavery. That is slavery. Saying, no, sit this one out, Jesus. I'm benching you again. I got this. I'm going to bench you. You're second string. I'm first string. That's your own righteousness. And it's a righteousness that has purchased you slavery. And it is better to trust in Christ for His spiritual freedom, your ability to love again without looking over your shoulder. The really, really, this is why I do this every week. The reason we say, this is the day the Lord has made. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and your minds in the one true faith In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.